code of silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 23rd of April 2009. Now, people listen, thousands of people listen to me every night. I get so many emails and I can't even go through them all, never mind answer them. So for those who want to keep me going, you know how to do it because I'm CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com where multiple thousands of downloads have occurred over the past few years, multiple, it's incredible amount of downloads that comes off there. For all the previous shows I've, done, I've given out for free, it's up to you to keep me going. And the PayPal buttons are on cuttingthroughmetrics.com website. You can also order the books too, because it is expensive even just doing what I am doing here. I don't ask for money from any of the stations I'm on, or even the TV programs either. Because then, to an extent, you have to go along in a form of political correctness. You're censored to an extent because advertising pays you directly in that case. And I don't, I don't ask for that. You, the listeners, keep me going. And that way I can say what I want pretty well about anything. So, as I say, if you want to keep it going, you know how to do it. Also, look into Alan Watt, sentinel.eu for transcripts of the talks I've given, which you can print up, and they're written in the various languages of Europe. And those who want to write to me, and people still do a lot of writing, because they don't trust the Internet, I don't blame them. After all, it's the best data collection system ever dreamed up by the boys who control the world. You can contact me at Alan Watt, site 41, box 4, Esther, which is E-S-T, A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P3E4N1. That's P for Peter, 3E for Elizabeth, 4N1. And that would get to me. Because many people, after a long, long time, stumble across my address. They They don't look at the Internet. They get this passed around. And they, they don't know where to order or how to help me out. Remember, personal checks are fine from the U.S. and Canada as well. You know, it's, it's no fun. It's no fun to talk for years about what was to come in this world, the big plans that were to come, and live through them unfolding. Because really, there was no good news. How can it be good news when the world has been under warfare from a small minority, really, for a long time, who are so powerful, have been on the go for so long, and have caused so many wars, because war is simply a method of amalgamation and compromise, altering cultures and creating empires, until you have world empire. That, that was always their goal. And the public never knew this. However, 
the big foundations that really run the world on behalf of those who own monetarily the world, the big foundations have published so many books, especially since the 1880s onwards, about their agenda. And they're never wrong. They tell you what they want to do. They tell you how they want to do it. They tell you of the scientific type of run society, managed society, that they want to bring in. We're living through the greatest transformation that's occurred in thousands of years. And they say that in their own words, in their own books. I'll be back with more to tell you where is to go from here. And it's not pleasant. It's not nice listening. Back with more after these messages. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, going into the future, really, the very near future, and even beyond, I suppose, about time, which I'm sure we won't. But, as I say, it's no pleasure reading the books that give you a planned future. And that's what it is. It's a planned future where stages or phases are pulled off after a set amount of years for each one. You can find the techniques in the writings of Cecil Rhodes, who was a big front man in himself. He was chosen for his task. And part of his task was to set up the, the basis for a multitude of foundations that would come, all connected together, to bring about a form of world empire based on a British model or an English, really a London model. They would have two faces, one for the public, which they now call democracy, and an inner one of the inner membership, the elite themselves. In Britain, they just call them the establishment. They've always been there. And he wrote about the techniques that they would use. He said they would use Jesuit-type techniques, and the society at the top would be run in secret and by secret rules and oaths and all the rest of it. Uh, this eventually merged with the Lord Alfred Milner group that was really the big bankers. Milner himself was a banker. And they formed the Royal Institute for International Affairs with its various branches across the British Empire. Every country of the British Empire still has one that runs its country. They also have formed one recently for the whole of Europe, for the European Parliament. And in the U.S., they call it the Council on Foreign Relations. It's basically Fabian in its methodology. Fabian is a long-term strategy, very long-term intergenerational strategy. And that's what Carl Quigley said, who was the historian for this group, the official authorized historian. And under the guise of democracy and equality, etc., they bring every faction of society, what they see as the conflicting parties, together by basically bringing in the leaders of all the conflicting sides. Carl Quigley said himself, he says, they don't mind who is a member 
of the Royal Institute or the, or the CFR. It says they have dictators, Marxists, Trotskyites, they have fascists, they have everything on board. And that is why it's hard to define. It has elements of all of that within it in itself. But even prior to becoming what it is today, the most powerful global institution, even prior to that, in previous centuries, this same movement prior to Cecil Rhodes had many names, and it was like a chameleon because in different countries it would take on the shape and the culture of the country. It rivaled the Roman Catholic Church at one point. For power, always going down in history, as victimized because they write the history books, as Krakow quickly said. Winston Churchill even said of this group that he was afraid of a group that had so much power that they'd written the history books of Britain and other countries for over a hundred years. And all the authorized ones were the schools too. And they still do. Most of the big novelists over the last hundred years in fact, pretty well all of them, even the poets, were members of it. Because after all, if you can give a reality or a culture to people, you must decide what it's going to be, so you put your own people in. Psychopaths are incredibly important to them for leadership because psychopaths, and I don't know if people realize that, I think the first study that was done outside of the, the lower class type psychopathic element that the police were used to and the judicial system were used to. The first main study to see if psychopaths even existed in other classes was done by Henderson and Gillespie back in the 60s. And they were astonished to find the most successful psychopaths were up in the political classes, which wasn't really surprising when you see what it takes to be a politician. You must have the ability to, to always lie without blushing or blinking, without any trace of guilt, because, see, a psychopath does not feel guilt. No matter the horrific acts they do, and this has been found out with the, the sociopathic type, the kinds that are destructive personally around them, uh, the, the rapists, the murderers, they'll always blame the victim. No matter how crazy it sounds to the, to the listeners or the jury, they always blame the victim as, as wanting this to happen to them. Without a blush, because they must save their ego at all other expense. Tony Blair is a perfect example of a psychopath. Britain, again, the leader, the model state, remember, for the League of Nations and the United Nations and the world society, this British system, this Fabian socialist. Tony Blair has so bankrupted the country with his plans that he still stands up in front of millions of people and tells them what a wonderful job he's done. He justifies the slaughters that's, that's going across the world in his time in office. And now his, his successor, another Fabian, is continuing the heritage. And that's psychopath. That's how a psychopath is. You could accuse them with the most terrible things as you pull the skeletons out of their closet, but there wouldn't be a blush. That's standard with these politics that the psychopathic types. I've read before from Political Ponderology, excellent source on and studying the psychopath. And we've realized what's really running 
our lives. We've got to understand this strange mentality that has no guilt and is determined to have its way. Before, before the whole world goes under, because these guys intend to vastly reduce the population. You talk about control freaks. We've never had control freaks in history as we have today. There's so many of them, all connected in the same club. And they will use deception always on the public and never tell them the truth about anything. And they feel justified, and their own writings will tell you this, and they feel justified in doing so to achieve their ends. The end justifies the means. Whatever it takes, in other words, to get their objective, it will be done. This is from the BBC. And here's Tony Blair. Now, this Tony Blair, remember, is now trying to tell the Pope, the Catholic Pope, how to reorganize his church. How he, that's how he did it. To the, Blair did it to the Labour Party. I think once he's finished there, he's going off to the Dalai Lama to, to advise him on how to run Buddhism. Because nothing is beyond the ego of this creature. The 23rd of April, 2009, force must be an option, says Blair. Tony Blair has said the case for using military force to topple oppressive regimes. Now, define oppressive. Look at the state of Britain. It's a police state. He says it's as strong as ever it was, despite events in Iraq and Afghanistan. He said intervention was needed to tackle the growing menace of Islamic extremism across the Middle East. You know, it's not that long ago, it was a quiet place. What happened? Do you have the memory to realize what happened? But he also stressed the need for engagement with progressive Muslims. Now, there's the Fabian talking. Get the ones you can buy off on board with you. You see, these guys would practice and bring in the leaders on different religions in the past, down through the centuries, under the guise that we're all the same. You can keep your religion destroying our club, same as Freemasonry, you see. This is, this is where it all comes from. And they, they say that they're tolerant to everyone, as long as you're a member and you go along with their agenda. But they're the most intolerant group of all when they start dictating their policies to you. But always under the guise of the greatest toleration, everyone's welcome. The former Prime Minister was speaking on the 10th anniversary of a speech in Chicago, where he set out his belief in an interventionist foreign policy. That means you attack first and do what you have to do to bring everybody under control, your control, along the direction that they should live, you see. See, this is political correctness to the extreme. These guys believe everything's wrong in the world, and they want to make it a nice orderly society, as you would make a god out of clay. You'd make it in your own image. You see, they know what's best. They've evolved further, you see. They're more intelligent than everyone else. Therefore, have the right, the right to tell everyone else how to live. It says, in April 1999, during the Kosovo conflict, Mr. Blair outlined his criteria for military action abroad in an address to the Chicago Economic Club. Did you know there was a Chicago Economic Club? And what is it? Have a look and see. See what else it belongs to. 
returning to the city this week, he told the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Did you vote these guys in? Do you know who they are? They're all over the place. Many at the time described the speech as hopelessly idealistic and even dangerous. And probably in the light of events since then, someone feel vindicated. Here's what Blair says. As for me, I'm older, better educated by the events that shaped my premiership, but I still believe that those who oppress and brutalize their citizens are better put out of power than kept in. His group have done their best, and it was planned this way, by the way, to bring the standards of living for the average British person down to a plummeting low, because it's to be a plummeting low across the globe now in this global society that the Fabians rule. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix just going over the life of a psychopath. One of the many psychopaths that are recruited as frontmen by the big Fabian socialist system that again is just a managerial class for a world managerialship put up there by their masters, the masters being the big economist, bankers, internationalists that have helped shape the mess we're in today. It's, it's, a, it's a shaped mess. It's not an accident because we have to go into the next step of the leveling of the planet, you see. They've talked about leveling the planet for such a long, long time make everyone equally poor themselves at the top and then bring the population of the poor down while they and their offspring at the top go on into this brave new world future. They might keep some of us around in an altered state of some kind or another, maybe genetic enhancement to make us more efficient, but certainly not brighter. They don't like bright people. They certainly don't like critics or thinkers or people who can shoot holes through all their nonsense that they feed the public because really they, they truly do believe the public must never ever ever know the real agenda just like the European Union they set up the idea for the European Union in World War I by the Royal Institute for International Affairs and I wrote about it extensively in their books they're published books I have a whole bunch of their old books here and then after World War II, they said they needed another world war to make it happen, to make everyone get to their knees and accept a United Europe and a global government. Then in 1948, they set up across the whole of Europe with secret treaties in every government, the bureaucracies to amalgamate Europe. And then they didn't tell the public the truth. They kept lying and lying about amalgamation until it was actually over and done with. But that's what they can do. They can actually create a parliament and still deny it. And then once it's up and running, at the right day, they say, yes, it really does exist in Europe. And they, they declassified the information that said in it that the public must never know the truth of the intentions of amalgamation of Europe with a global parliament, um, a, a European parliament, until it was up and running. That's what the public are told. Nothing's changed. It's the same thing going on with the unification of the Americas because this is just part two following on from part one while they're amalgamating the Far East. Getting back to Blair, the man who doesn't need sleeping pills when he talks about his interventionist ideas, 
which are bold, he calls them, bold. That means going slaughtering people and forcing them to their knees, wiping out their agriculture and their food and their factories and their water supplies. It's very bold. But again, like Rockefeller says, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. And that's exactly how these guys talk. Blair said, it would be wrong to revert to a more traditional foreign policy, which he described as less bold, more cautious, less idealistic. So, so these wars are idealistic wars. Eh? You didn't know that, did you? More pragmatic, more willing to tolerate the intolerable, he says. But he said a broader strategy was needed to deal with the threats posed by extremism. Do you understand Margaret Thatcher? Again, you see there's no right wing and left wing here. She came out under the new conservatives, progressive conservatives, and in the U.S. they called them the neocons, happened at the same time across the world because there's only one party running all sides, you see. Thatcher came out and said, she says, the next war will be on religious fundamentalism, starting, starting with the Middle East. Starting. That also means every other country, including the U.S. What is fundamental? It means the core belief. You're allowed to have their little traditions and wave your hands in the air and have tears and hug each other, but don't believe in the core foundations at all. That's fundamentalism. So he goes on to say, Mr. Blair, back in April 1999, I thought that removal of a despotic regime was almost sufficient in itself to create the conditions for progress. See, these guys, the Fabians always mention progress, but they don't tell the public what they mean. He said, but this battle cannot so easily be won because it's based on an ideology and because its roots are deep. So a strategy for victory, who is our? Huh? See, he's, talking, he's not talking on behalf of any British public or world public here. Our strategy for victory has to be broader, more comprehensive, but also more sharply defined. He says, it's going to, it's really going to be won over a prolonged period. It says, in this sense, it's more akin to fighting revolutionary communism than a discreet campaign such as the one which changed the Balkans a decade ago. We've had nothing but constant wars. You realize that? You realize people will have no memory of constant warfare. You know who's behind it? Cecil Rhodes' bunch started off the South African Boer War intentionally and blamed the other side for attacking British, even though the Cecil Rhodes group sent an army in there to start the war off. And then, of course, the British government was only too happy to come in. Oh, we better go in and save our own people there. They, and they wrote about it in their own books. They set off a war. They've set off many wars. They're doing it right now. And we let them get away with it because we believe their BS. Utter propaganda. The whole world is under martial law, and these guys think it's fantastic. And from their agenda, a strategic point, it is fantastic, because they're getting exactly what they want. The kind of society is coming into view that they planned a long time ago. I'm going to go back with more, because it's to show you what's to come to America. It starts in Britain, America follows. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
and I am Alan Watt, discussing the Fabians who run the current governments, because they always, as Quigley said, have their leaders at the top of all parties, but they also run the parallel government, those who have been leaders and high-level bureaucrats, and who are now technocrats, as they call them, who are given an amazing power to go around the world and alter things, attend all the meetings, and basically dictate to the basic, the various NGOs and foundations to help run the new democracy, as they call it. All democracy is gone, you see, run by NGOs, front groups. They pretend to, to demand from governments on behalf of the people, but, they, but no one elects them. The parallel government that Thatcher said she now belonged to as well, that's the one I'm talking about, the one that gets the jobs done, the Kissingers, etc. They have the real power, as Quigley said, they're not answerable to the general public or to any voter. They're given tremendous money, wealth, and power to implement policies, rules, and regulations for this wonderful upcoming Fabian society where the masters will tell us what to do and what to think and punish us like bad little children if we don't go along with them. That's how simple it is. Here's the reality of Britain. This is in the Telegraph. This is for the, for the U.S. to listen to because it's the last place in the world where you can still say things and maybe maybe do something about it as the U.S. But this, this is coming to the U.S. because the present Fabian who's been plonked in there, parachuted in to the U.S. as a front man, is signing every U.N. policy that was shelved. And if you do that, you're in the same boat that's sinking as Britain. The Telegraph UK is Britain the world's first politically correct totalitarian state. This is the great state that Tony Blair's prattling on about. And this is from April 22nd, 2009, Telegraph. Is Britain becoming the, worst, the world's first soft totalitarian state? That's the question posed by Hal G.P. Colbatch in the Australian newspaper. He writes, Nikolai Bukharin claimed one of the Bolshevik revolution's principal tasks was to alter the people's actual psychology. You see, this is the same stuff. It's the same group, actually, because in Europe they tried a different technique by taking over government gradually and bureaucracy gradually. Uh, whereas the Bolshevik Soviet system was just a fast socialism. It says Britain is not Bolshevik, really, but a campaign to alter people's psychology and create a new homo Britannicus, he'd actually, he'd actually said that there was a homo sovieticus to be created. They actually had that in the books. You're just plasticine, you're clay, and the masters can basically reshape you and your mind through science. So they're going to create a new British person. It's underway without even a fig leaf of disguise. The government is pushing ahead with legislation that will criminalize politically incorrect jokes with a maximum punishment of up to seven years' prison. The House of Lords tried to insert a free speech amendment. This is Britain, of course. I've never heard of that before. But Justice Secretary Jack Straw knocked it out. He's a straw man, you see, in our Fabian. Colbatch gives several examples, including a 14-year-old girl arrested for racism because she wanted to sit with fellow English speakers in class. If that was true, the rest of them spoke her, do she, she couldn't understand them. So what do you do? You charge them when they complain. A 10-year-old arrested for calling a schoolmate by a racist word. 
and a hate crime investigation against Basil Brush for making a joke about gypsies. These stories used to be a bit of a joke in themselves, often involving overzealous, humorless young WPCs hassling crazy gay-bashing old evangelicals, but the jokes worn thin. As author points out, there are just too many cases of people being arrested for homophobia, racism, or other thought crimes for this to be treated as anything other than state policy. Well, of course it's state policy. After all, you're all animals, and you're going to make sure you all get along. You see, that's the Fabian way. And the masters will make you all do it. They'll create a new type anyway. Of course, Britain isn't or was Oceania or Bolshevik Russia yet, but it is a tyranny nonetheless. No kidding. It's amazing. It's only taken 10 years for the mainstream media to start waking up a little bit. Liberal Democrat MP Evan Harris felt very smug about overturning Britain's long-disused blasphemy laws last year, and it was made secularist of the year, even though Britain hasn't been in any way an Anglican theocracy since the early Victorian era. This, arresting people for having unfashionable views, however objectionable, is a real theocracy, and it truly is. This is theocracy. This is a priesthood. If you want to fight for freedom, Dr. Harris, fight for the people's right to be racist or sexist or Islamophobic or simply rude. This atheocracy derives from the incredibly liberal but also incredibly intolerant. That's what I told you. See, under the guise of liberalism, you'll find when they're in power, they're the most intolerant of all. It's either their way or the highway. There's also incredibly intolerant anti-discrimination morality that spread through Britain's universities in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It became known as political correctness, which itself became a tedious cliché because we journalists overused it. Many people missed the point of PC. It wasn't about the funny language, which was often absurd, but arose partly from a noble attempt to be polite and not hurt anyone's feelings. The point of political correctness was that it closed down debate. Political correctness sought in true or true Orwellian fashion to make contrary ideas utterly verboten. And it actually has worked to an extent. Perfectly legitimate objections to ideas such as total sexual, sorry, gender equality or sexual liberation or whites having the monopoly of racism were suppressed all over the academia, even more so in big bad America than in liberal Europe. And if the debate is closed down in politics and in academia, it is only a matter of time before it becomes not simply unsavable but, or unsayable, but illegal. Well, it is legal now. This is a wonderful Britain where you can't even use humor with your friends anymore because someone might be in a bad mood and get offended. Puff, puff. But the comments are really interesting, this wonderful Britain that's the model state for the world because you, you look through them at the bottom there talking about the totalitarian system and everyone knows it, all the writers and they know it. And there's one called UK Debt Slave. It says, yes, indeed, it's a new totalitarian age. There doesn't seem to be any limit to the persecution of people for non-crimes. And this micromanagement of people's lives goes way beyond political correctness. It's now a punishable offense to leave the lid on the wheelie bin, as off of your garbage bin, ajar in some parts of the country. We're constantly spied upon. The government is even encouraging citizens to spy on each other. This guy says, I'm so appalled I'm actually selling up and leaving before they shut the door on foreign travel. See, he sees it coming too. It says, these
these morons are driving the British people on a one-way street towards absolute control and totalitarian dystopia. The British have been ideal guinea pigs for these Fabian and Marxist ideals because they're overly tolerant of overbearing government and easily placated by consumerism and tittle-tattle, meaning, meaning the, the tedious trivia they give you on media. So this guy's off to live in America. If the reason he's giving us is where, the, where the, the very same creeping fascism is also taking root. So he knows that, too. He says they'll have a much tougher time imposing such ideas on the American people who have another advantage in that they're armed to the teeth. This is from the, the writers and the major newspaper in the UK. Britain, the model state for the world, because whatever happens there first is followed very quickly now, generally within weeks in the United States and Canada and elsewhere. And we sit back and allow this to happen. There's another article from the Telegraph. Children tracked by satellite navigation to stop bad behavior. It's from their technology page. So they can be tracked on satellite and public transport and encouraged to spy on their friends and report bad behavior under a pilot scheme by the Welsh Assembly. That will be followed everywhere. Pupils will use a picture swipe card to clock on and off buses, allowing parents. Now, it's not for parents because the parents won't have these readers. It's for the government authorities. This is a liar right off the bat, you see, so that this is a PR piece to promote it. To keep a closer check on their child via a website, the project is trialed across the six North Wales countries. counties. It's been trialed, that's for nationwide to tackle anti-social behavior on school buses. Now, that comes with all the things we've talked about before tonight. People will use a picture swipe card to clock on and off the bus, allowing parents to give a closer check, blah, blah. It will help deal with a number of issues, including truancy. Truancy is a major crime now. Drivers reporting and identifying ill-behaved children. Ill-behaved, eh? and monitoring a child's whereabouts in the event of them going missing or a bus breakdown. The scheme includes bus angels, or there you go for the little darlings, bus angels, age 14 and above, who covertly report incidents of bad behavior. So 14-year-olds are being recruited to spy on their fellows. And they have a list of what is down as bad behavior, bad speech, bad terminology, Bad thoughts, wrong think. Peter Daniels, transport manager at Dainbingshire County Council, said the main aims are to support schools or support drivers, parents and pupils on school buses to improve behaviour and enable them to understand the consequences of some of the things they do. So this guy will be getting a backhander as well. I see money changes hands under the table. These characters, I wonder what the company is. This is the world they're bringing in, you see. This brave new world where everyone will be paranoid of everyone else and will be just like the Soviets, staring at the sidewalk as you walk along because you don't dare meet the glance of anyone passing by you in case they see some odd thought flashing through your eye. Not kidding. And before I get off this rant tonight as well, this was on Yahoo yesterday. 
Remember I told you yesterday, I said, you know, for thousands of years, I mean, Fabians learn from, from history. They have professors, stacks of professors that always have them on board to tell them how to use the past into the present. What worked before will work again. Plato said the same thing. Whatever you've made man do it in past ages, if you know the formula to introduce it, it will work just as well again. Formula. And he was guilt. See, guilt was a big stick of the churches. You were born in sin. You, Adam sinned. Oh my God, everybody sinned thousands and millions of years ago. So that's why you're nothing but scum today. But there's a way out, and we know the way, and here's what you have to do. Just get calluses on your knees and throw money in these boxes and obey, obey, obey. This is Fabianism, folks. Here they go with the same thing. Geithner. Ha <laughs> ha. I love this guy. Urges global effort to tamp the crisis. April 22nd. In the United States, he says, bears substantial blame for the worst or the woes besetting the world economy, but will take a global effort to ease those strains. U.S. Secretary, Secretary Timothy Geithner said Wednesday. Did you all know you were all at fault for this? This crash? It was your fault. The crash was all your fault. I guess when they say the United States, that means the collective, the collective society, right? How many of you are related to top bankers? Because I understood that it was those guys that caused the problem. But here's reality swap right there. It's, it's, no, long, it's no sooner in office. It's all your fault. And here we go again. I thought the Chicago Economic Club. Speaking to the Economic Club of Washington, Geithner said, check these guys out. You don't vote for these guys. Geithner said it was essential to find a better balanced model for world growth that relies less on U.S. consumers as economies bid to climb out of the steepest downturn in decades. And what he's going to say here is to Parrick, Kissinger, and Brzezinski, and all the other big boys that work for the CFR. Because back in the 1930s, then in the 40s, the same group through the U.N. was saying they'd have to get the West to stop consuming so much. See, it's all your consumption. It was the fault of it. You know, all you guys apparently owned all the factories that just took all the chromium out of Africa. It was all your fault. He says, we must set ourselves on a path so that one country or group of countries does not consume in excess while another set of countries produces in excess, he says. Right from the CFR's textbook. The, the leveling of the planet. Geithner's remarks are part of a concerted campaign by the Obama administration to push developing countries to stimulate domestic demand and cut reliance on exports for growth. President Barack Obama stressed the same theme at a meeting. Oh my goodness, I'm surprised they're all expressing the same theme. A unified front. Weapons of mass destruction. Weapons of mass destruction. Here they are, the same thing, you see. They're given terms, slogans to use, and every one of these front men will part them to every paper that they have a chance to be interviewed by. U.S. President Barack stressed the same thing at a group of the G20, rich and emerging economies in London this month. Geithner will repeat the message on Friday to make sure we all get it, you see. When he hosts a meeting of G20 officials after a regular gathering of finance ministers and central bankers from the group of seven major industrial powers, well, Apparently, we were all at fault for causing this global depression, but he's meeting with the big, big bankers that a month ago, two months ago, were at fault.
fault. Spending control is coming. You know what that means? Prices fixed, wages fixed, and so on. Again, the UK was a test bed for all this. Techno stress, the United States is prepared. You know you're all prepared to incur budget deficits. I'm glad they asked all of you. Now you know what the world managed your class is all about because they dictate down without a problem. They're not even bothering pretending they're democratic anymore. Do you notice that? You notice that? Remember what, what Bertrand also said? They have to gradually, over, over generations, condition the public into the acceptance, without even reasoning it through, that they're being managed, not governed, managed. So the U.S. is prepared to incur budget deficits now to spur economic activity, but said it would get spending under control once the crisis ends. It's very important to do this because the American people and investors around the world need to understand that we will have the will and the commitment as a country to go back to living within our means, Geithner said. We smug smile. Beautiful photograph of the smug smile here, too. The big grin. To get to that point, we have to get a recovery in place, he says. Now, here we go. The International Monetary Fund, which with the World Bank holds semi-annual meetings in Washington this weekend, said on Wednesday the global economy was likely to shrink 1.3% this year in its deepest swoon since the end of World War II. No wonder they're all grinning. Back with more after this break. And I am Alan Watts. And before I go on to the phones, and this hour again is just flashing in, it was announced a couple of days ago that in Toronto, the police there uh, can confiscate any property they want if they suspect there's any kind of crime to do with drugs and that going on. It doesn't have to go to court or anything else. And they split the loot. It's all sold and everything else. That's it. You don't have to go to court or anything. Just suspicion. Cars, houses, everything. That's what they did in the Soviet Union. Because, again, the Soviet Union was a model for the police state. That's why they brought the big KGB guys over for the war on terror and gave them employment in Washington, D.C. And in Britain, when they pull your car off the road for any little infraction, After two weeks, if you can't pay all the towing fees and everything else they charge, about one and a half thousand dollars or pounds, they crush your car. They crush your car. This is the kinder, gentle society. Now, we'll go to, we'll go to Toronto, and there's Bruce on the line. Are you there, Bruce? Hello, Hello? Bruce. Yes. Hi, Alan. Yes. Good. I've... Uh read the material on your site and I've learned a lot. I admire your insight, your historical depth. It's, it's fantastic. And like you, I live on, on, in Ontario. I thought I'd ask, maybe uh, others are interested and I, I'm not expecting a positive answer, but uh, given what's coming down and that it's accelerating, can you imagine that we could uh, move somewhere else? Could it be Ecuador, Brazil, any other place? where we might, you know, engage in a self-sustaining lifestyle, be able to grow our own food, even if it's for another 10 years. Yeah. Because like you, I see, you know, these mm -hmm. things are coming down <clears throat> more and more quickly. 
you're right in that. In fact, a lot of people are already moving out to those areas, have been for the last few years, mm-hmm. accelerating now, and, and that's what they're looking for, is to, to last out a few more years beyond the rest as the, as the rest goes down, uh, and to be left fairly you know, alone, basically, uh, and have the, the normal kind of life you expected where you make your own decisions until the end. That's all you can really hope for, because we are under a totalitarian world society. And any country even that tries to pull out will be called a rogue nation by the UN, and they'll send all of the remaining UN armies into that country. That goes for Canada, the States, everywhere else, too, you know. So all it's you can do is just look for those, those few countries left where there are still people who haven't been caught up and put under total commercialization and they still have a remnant of culture and self-sufficiency left. So you're quite right with those particular areas, yeah. Uh, okay, so that sounds on the right track. Uh, with the North American Union being planned, I see that uh, perhaps being instituted by 2012, so there yes. isn't a lot. Of- Actually, it's official, and that was from even from the free trade negotiations before the NAFTA negotiations. The whole thing would be completely amalgamated by uh, 2010, 2000, uh, and actually 2010. Uh, 2009 is the second last signature that's been to be done this year by the three prime ministers, Canada, Mexico, the U.S. And in 2010, that's the total integration. That's the last signatory. That's it. Does that mean the Amero would be in force once we uh, give up our fiscal authority? It really doesn't cur- matter so currency. much about the, the type of currency initially. Um, that will follow, but um, already our bureaucracies, our, our federal bureaucracies are, are merged. They're merging. And so is the complete security system, uh, CISAs, CIA, FBI. They're all merged already. So it's just a matter of, of, of the final merger, that's all. But thanks for calling, and here's the music already. My God, we don't have enough time on this show, so maybe John from Canada and Mike from Wyoming can come back tomorrow. I'll talk to them then. From myself and Amy, Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.